Hey friends, welcome back to the Love and Relationships Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Faleta, and I'm so glad you're tuning into these candid conversations about love, sex, dating, singleness, and marriage. For those of you who don't know me or are tuning in for the first time, I'm a licensed professional counselor and author specializing in relationship issues. I also run the relationship advice blog, truelovedates.com, reaching millions of people with the message that healthy people make healthy relationships. If you've tuned into the podcast before, you know it's a hotline style show, meaning people call in or write in with their relationship questions, and I answer them on this show in short, practical, bite-sized answers. If you have a question that you want me to answer on the show, send it via email or voice memo to deborah at truelovedates.com or check out my podcast page, truelovedates.com slash love and relationships, and I'll do my best to get it answered on one of the episodes. So let's get started. Before we get started today, I have an exciting announcement. I wanted to remind you guys that my book, Love in Every Season, is officially available for pre-order. I'm so excited about this book, you guys. It has just been such a journey to write about the four seasons of a relationship, spring, summer, fall, and winter. And I honestly learned so much in the process that I can't wait to share with you. So you can go online anywhere you get your books and pre-order Love in Every Season today. I'm going to go ahead and leave a link to pre-order in the show notes. And if you're interested in getting an early digital copy of this book, I'm looking for 500 people who want to join my launch team. You'll be able to find more information about that in the show notes as well. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think about this book. So thank you so much for pre-ordering and for supporting this ministry. Today's question comes from Sherry from North Carolina. I've been taught in biblical marriage when difficult decisions come along, the husband should have the final say as the head of the home. What are your thoughts about this? Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to have my friends, Tim and Ann Evans. Tim and Ann have spoken so much truth into my marriage with John and into the way that we view leadership and decision-making in marriage, and they just have so much wisdom and life experience. So I'm so excited to have them on the show today to help me tackle this important question. Tim and Ann, it's so good to have you guys. Oh, we're so excited. It's an honor to be on your uh, podcast, Deborah. Yeah, it's great to be with you. We're fans from Colorado Springs. We read every blog and listen to every one of your podcasts. Oh, thank you so much, guys. That means a lot to me. So we are tackling a really important question today about biblical marriage. Um, You know, you heard the question that came in about decision-making and what do you do when decisions come along and who has the final word. Most people have been taught that in the biblical model of marriage, that the husband should have the final say. And you guys have a different perspective on this. And I would just love to hear a little bit about your perspective on this question, as well as how you reached this way of thinking. 
Oh, well, gosh, you know, that's one of our favorite questions to talk about our model for marriage, which I want to say before we respond to your question, let's back up a little bit and say the audience challenge you with the question, what is your biblical model for marriage? Because before you can decide about decision making, you have to first agree on what the model is. Right. And there's different views. And usually when we do a workshop or seminar on this specific topic, we start off by saying there's absolutes and preferences and you know an absolute for example be what comes to like, mind like an absolute in life uh with you and i is uh do we agree on the oneness of god, the father, triune god do we believe there's a father son and holy spirit do we believe in the life death resurrection of jesus christ do we believe in the great commandment love that, the great commission go you know authority of scripture justification by faith yeah that's all yes yes <clears throat> those yes. are things we're going to die on those hills but to frame what we're going to share, we believe our marriage view is a preference similar to other preferences. We know people who prefer contemporary worship to traditional, adult baptism to infant baptism. People prefer uh, hearing God's voice, restricting what God said to just what's written in the Bible. There's people with real strong preferences on that side. Another passion of ours is you know, equality in the church and mutuality between men and women. Some pre People in churches prefer women to be allowed to be elders and preachers and teachers and all that. And other churches prefer to restrict them from using the gifts God's given them. So we would prefer to attend that kind of a church. We'd also prefer to live our lives according to what we believe is God's creational marriage design, opposed to a more traditional model. Yeah, so talk me through that a little bit. When you say God's original marriage design, what does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah, that's another you know million-dollar question. We get our marriage theology from before the fall. In the beginning, you know, God created man and woman. All your listeners know the story. You, know, you learn it in Sunday school. Right. And it's like the woman and the man were given two mandates, the procreation mandate to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and also the dominion. Some call it the rulership man- mandate. Let them, plural, man and woman, rule over the fish and the birds and the sea. So those mutuality co-leadership, reciprocal servanthood. They were one. And God commented on them before Senator the story and said, you know, together they were naked without shame. So in we don't see in the in the creational design any evidence of hierarchy or the man being the spiritual cover or him being the main leader in the family. We see mutuality in Genesis. So there's um, no mention of headship or female subordination or a woman having to, a wife having to go through her husband you know, like he's the mediator, other texts in the New Testament push back on that. So to answer your question, Deborah, in the beginning, they were one functionally and intrinsically, intrinsically as man and woman made in God's image and functionally as commanded to carry out the two, you know, mandates, the procreation and the rulership. When you think about it, the headship came in or the rulership came in as a consequence to the fall. So that didn't come in until after Genesis 3, when they first sinned. Yeah, Genesis 3.16 says, you know, to the to the wife, your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you, what we call male rulership. In other words, he didn't rule over you before, but now because of sin, he will rule over you. So, so many times in the counseling office, we'll hear women come in and we'll hear them say things like, and this is a generalization, not all women, but some women will say, my husband isn't the spiritual leader. He doesn't take charge of our family. He doesn't pray enough. He doesn't. And it's like, well, he's not ruling over you. He's not in charge of your family. You're both co-leading. So what are you doing? 
to uh, lead your family in in prayer and relationship with the Lord. And so we really encourage couples to um, to work together, just like in Genesis yes. one and two, um, with each other, mutually submitted based to each the other and got. submitted to God based on their gifts, not on specific roles or gender. Yeah, I love that. I really do. And I would say one thing that really resonated with me from your message is the idea that we've got to take responsibility. We have each got to take responsibility for the direction of this marriage, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically. This isn't just put on one person. And I I agree with you. I think that can cause a lot of damage when people say, you know, my husband isn't doing this. My husband isn't doing that. And granted, I, I do see a lack of initiative in in certain couples. Um, sometimes that does come from the male, but but no matter who it comes from, the idea is to turn towards ourselves and say, what's my role here? How can I do this better? How can I move towards health and healing in my personal walk with Jesus in order to move my entire marriage towards health and healing? It's a mutual responsibility. And that is so key. So my question for you then is, how did you guys come to this in your marriage? Was there something that triggered like this way of thinking? Did you just happen to fall into this? Um, Did you reach this point by default or because you went through something difficult that you had to reach this point? Like how did it actually come into fruition in your relationship? Especially for our generation, right? Because we're in our sixties. So yeah. Yeah. Most are very traditional. Again, there wasn't any epiphany or, you know, major decision we came to. I think, again, as a counselor and a therapist, you know, so much relates back to your family of origin. And for me personally, I was, I've always been a justice person. And, you know, we were raised in a traditional church, went to mass every week, did all the sacraments and was parochial grammar school, middle school, high school, college. I was public and we just kind of went along with the flow. Then we got married at 21 and we started attending a, a new church that was opening in the Chicago suburbs, ended up being a mega church. And we started seeing women honored and valued and preaching and teaching on elder boards. And that was so foreign to us. So we started to ask questions and we went to one of the elders who was um, kind of one of the point persons on this theology. And he invited us to audit his courses at Wheaton College. So we we're married a few years at the time, probably in our middle, late twenties. And it, it was just, I mean, I've never sat in the front row of anything in my life. I'm a back row guy. We would get there early. We would leave late. I drive from my house to get 20 minutes with them, just with all the questions. And it just planted seeds of saying, what is God's design and purposes for marriage? And how do you live it out? And and I will say a background for Tim and I is when we got married, I always thought we had a good marriage. We were always more than just husband and wife. We really were best friends. And while my parents, I wouldn't say modeled a co-leadership model because that wouldn't have been true. But my parents were very much team players where my dad would help with the dishes. He changed diapers. He'd now he, he was the quote unquote spiritual cover, but still I saw very much a partnership between them, mutuality at some level. And I think I wanted that in my own life and in my own marriage. But we had no words, no No words. We didn't even own a Bible at the time, frankly. So uh, really, the course of weakness started stirring in our hearts, and that was more directed. It was called marriage 
and family in the New Testament, and it was more directed on women and leadership. But then we felt like the Holy Spirit just squeezed our hearts for marriage, and we've been married 43 years now. So I remember we were in church one day listening to a, a, a leadership message on women and leadership. And when we got in the car, I came home and I said to Tim, I would love to see a man and a woman stand up who are pro-women in leadership, and I would love to hear them tell me how that translates back to their home in marriage. So how do mm. they work that out in the home? And nobody, there's yeah. nobody to represent that area of ministry. So Tim and I, in our early years, found ourselves at a lot of women in leadership conferences, um, a lot of people who were pro-women using their full gift mix. And we always would raise our hands and say, but how does that work out in the marriage? So I think- And very few even had answers. They would kind of default to complementarianism. Well, you know, the husband includes the wife, and but he has the final say. The buck stops there. He wears the pants. And we're like, but well, wait a minute. But we'd say at the end of the day, though, who's in charge? And they'd kind of look at each other and be like, well, if you had a pick, I guess you'd say the man is still in charge. And we would say, well, if it's, Forty-nine, fifty-one. You know, it, in terms of you know, it's like the woman's forty-nine percent. The man's fifty-one. It's just a slight margin. We'd say, yeah, but it's still a margin. So what's the difference between the husband having ninety-nine percent and the wife having one percent? Or what does first month e- equals mean? What does you know? He has the. I, I know a very popular marriage author who says. You know, I make all the major decisions in my marriage. And after over 40 years of marriage, we've never had a major decision. And everybody laughs. Right. But we're like, that's not really funny because you're either you usurping kind of your job, it. abdicating your job as the leadership position you believe God's given you. Yeah. You're not stepping in authority that, that we would say the you know, whatever. So what do you authority, so Or you, you just, believe? yeah, what do you believe? So we believe mm-hmm. before the fall in God's creational marriage design. That's where we base our theology. That's where we say co-leaders. That's where we focus on mutuality and de- deferring to one another, but including God. I will have to say, though, Deborah, and maybe you'll you'll get to this or you'll ask it in an indirect way. I'm not by nature this strong woman who wants equal rights and I need a voice. I'm very much an introvert who, by nature, if I wasn't a Christian, would probably be content my whole life following Tim's lead and letting him make all the decisions. So this more conflict message, avoider, more background much, person. Yeah, not so much anymore, but very much in our early years. So this message really messed with me personally, because like you said before, it called me into my strength as a woman into who God created me to be. Tim would say to me, I'm not going forward until I hear your perspective. I want you to pray about it and tell me what God is saying. And that really pushed me into an uncomfortable place. So I always think we're a good good couple to give this message. Because you're not the feminine Nazi. I'm not the, the yeah, feminine Nazi. At no, all, at I, all. I'm very much like, hey, I would have been happy if you would have made all the decisions. And then I could have just blamed you your whole life. And kicked life. me. Oh, yeah, didn't go the way we thought. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that you shared that because you're so right. I think... A lot of times people from the outside looking in at this message do think that this is a message for those extreme feminists who want to take power and control and and the, the people who tend to have a stronger personality. But I love that you're saying this isn't your personality. God is pulling you out of that shell and calling you to a higher standard, calling you to take responsibility for your relationship and for your life and for how you engage with your husband and for the decisions that you make in your marriage and for how you raise your family. 
I love that. And, and I resonate so much with that. I would say I'm the, 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 probably the, the opposite personality in that I'm probably more assertive. Um, and I'm more inclined to want to have my say and want to make decisions when it comes to our relationship. But even, even my personality is challenged by this because at the end of the day, this is not about me. It's about us. It's about the Holy Spirit leading us. And so really the power struggle dies because Jesus is in charge, not him, not me. And it basically disintegrates the power struggle. It's non-existent because it's all about, okay, let's look to God. This isn't what I want. This isn't what you want. What does God want us to do together? And so you guys came up with a really practical approach to decision-making that you call the traffic light principle. Can you talk to us about that? Because I think it is just a beautiful way to understand this concept and how it's played out. For sure. Just a little disclaimer on the front end of this. Again, um, one is, you know, essential ingredient to successfully implement what we call a traffic light principle is it presupposes that the husband and wife both have a measure of um, health, humility. It's like we've had people come up to us after a workshop and a husband will smile and kind of laugh and say, so if I have this right, if I tell my wife I don't have a green light, you know, we're not going on vacation where she wants to go. And I don't even laugh. I just shake my head and said, you missed the whole principle. Or Because it's not a tool for manipulation to get our own way. So when you say it presupposes a measure of health, we believe we encourage both people to go to the Lord in prayer when they're the making a decision. That's the key. So if there's no relationship with the Lord there, it can turn into a tool of manipulation. But anyways, we were back in our early days of marriage. I was at a, I was with uh, three or four kids in my back seat as a young wife, and I was at a traffic light in Chicago, and I felt like I came home with a, a message for Tim. I said, I was at this traffic light, and it was like all the cars were responding to a light in the middle of the intersection. And I thought to myself, the car was so chaotic. Sometimes life is so chaotic. What would it be like in our life if God was a traffic light and you and I were responding to his light when it comes to decision making? And we laughed. I'm like, and what would that look like? You know, Anne's a, a very thinker, very creative, very artsy person. That, and we just laugh. We're like, we have no idea, but we, we agreed to pray about it. And over more than months, a season, we kept refining and it. I think I'm a visual person. So I, th- I said, I think it would look like we individually go to the Lord in prayer and say, here's the decision. What do you think? And in terms of your response, I'm not expecting an audible voice, but would you give me something like like a traffic light, like a, a green for go, a yellow for maybe slow wait, uh, not right now, and a red for stop? So we implemented that probably, you know, close to 40 years ago. In our innocence. Yeah, kind of really we look at it now as just God's gift to us. And we walked it out probably for over 10 years before we even talked about it. And then we had opportunities at our church to become part of the marriage team. And we, when we suggested it, everybody kind of got on board. So now we've been sharing it pretty much every week in our office for, for 40 years. So people, yeah. a lot of people, most people we talk to say they make decisions in unity. Now, how that actually plays out, I'm not sure. But for Tim and I, unity doesn't mean um, agreement so much with each other because we can agree on things that God is not anywhere near in that decision. That's so good. So the traffic light isn't about agreeing with one another. It's about agreeing with God. 
we use this slogan a lot. We say, we believe that God is so much more interested in husband and wife unity than he is in either one of us getting our own way. So this isn't about a power struggle, who's stronger, who's the better arguer. Um, hey, why don't you decide this time? Because I Let's decided the last I'll time. I'll give you a get out of jail free card for when yeah. we have a disagreement. It's like we, we have, to use a strong word, made a covenant that if we don't, both don't, you know, the Bible says, ask for wisdom, it'll be given to you. We both ask God for wisdom. If we both don't have the same light, we don't, we don't pull the trigger on the decision. We just wait. And uh, we have friends who just shake their <laughs> people head. Are, people are like, you've got to be kidding me. You don't move forward. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We'd never be able to get out of the gate in unity to make a decision. And I understand what they're saying. But really, if that's true, that you'd never be able to make a decision without unity, then as a couple, you really need to look at your communication skills and what's going on anyway in your marriage, which you're probably... Uh, looking past and it's causing other problems in other areas. Yeah. It's definitely um, an encouragement for couples to look at their relationship with the Lord and see what that's like. And then to look at their communication skills and see what those are like. And see, that's what I mean. God's behind it saying, I'm so much more interested in how you relate to me and how you learn how to relate to each other, that's so much more important than whether or not you're going to buy a dog. Right. Absolutely. And that's the truth. Most of these decisions in the scheme of life are not life-changing things. It's like the the day-to-day things that we're deciding. Um, and I think what what's most foundational about this and what you're talking about that resonates so much with my heart is the idea that we need to back up and ask ourselves, how healthy am I in the first place? Right. right. And how yeah. healthy is my relationship with Jesus in the first place? Because if I'm not where I need to be, none of this stuff is going to play out well. The communication, the decision-making, the leadership, the whatever, it's not going to play out well if one or the other of us is not where we need to be. And so honestly, this is a challenge to look at our lives and to take a couple steps back and see where we are in in the health of our personal life and in in the health of our spiritual relationship with Jesus. So tell me specifically if you've ever had a time where you disagreed, like let's talk practically. Give me a give me a situation where you disagreed, you didn't both have the green light from God and what how did that play out and what did you do? Uh, again, there it's it's often a, a, a somewhat recent one. Our office is a few blocks from our home here in old Colorado city and Colorado Springs. And we love our office, but it's really small, especially if you do any family work in that. And so the office next door opened up and Ann was like clicking her heels. She was already decorating. She was ready to buy the paint. I'm like, wait, shouldn't we, we always say IOTL inquire of the Lord and make sure we both have green. She's like, absolutely. Go ahead and Go ahead, because God's clearly going to yeah. say yes, because <laughs> so, it's their, this is ministry. This is a done deal. Bam, mic no drop. Yeah, no reason in the it. natural not to. And I went for a hike and I came home and I knew it was going to be a little rough sailing. I'm like, hey, babe, I prayed about it. She goes, yeah, can we stop at the paint store today? I'm like, uh, well, we can. But honestly, Hannah, I didn't have a yellow. I had a red light. It wasn't even yellow like maybe or not now. It was like red no. And that you didn't like that. That didn't go well with me because there's not very many things that I want or I ask for or that I really want to 
push. And I felt like this was such a no brainer that honestly, looking back, I didn't pray about it because clearly God was in it in my mind. And so when Tim said, did you pray about it? My immediate answer was yes, but no, I didn't really stop and pause and do that. So when you say, do you ever have any disagreements with it? Absolutely. Even as recent as this decision and we're the ones that are writing the tools about it because we're selfish human beings, because we're imperfect, because there's moments in our life, depending on the decision, that we just plain want what we want. And I'll ask for forgiveness later. I don't think God's going to condemn me for getting, you know, 300 more square feet. And, and, it's that kind of a mentality where we justify and it. And I think part of it also was, you know, she had all the facts. I mean, if we went to 100 courts, 100 would, you know, vote in favor, determine that, yeah, get the bigger office. It's like we could afford it. It wasn't that much more. The room would be, you know, better suited for our ministry. And yet I kept coming back where a couple of days later, she's like, are you really praying about it? I said, hon, I walked to work every step up our step to the second floor. I asked the Lord every step. I said, really, it's it's not any that I can give you a reason other than I don't sense the Lord saying green light. I still sense a red. And we struggled with that. We struggled and, and we argued about it. And I think the argument was at this level. I didn't know if Tim was, I, I was questioning whether right. or not you I were really, really praying not. about it or whether you were just um, in your own nature saying, I'm just a frugal guy and I don't want to spend $300 more in rent. So that's what I was questioning. And I remember the point of us agreeing where you looked at me and you said, remember we said this presupposes a measure of health? Are you questioning whether or not I'm praying about it? I'm telling you, I went to the Lord and this is what I'm coming back with. I'm not manipulating this decision. And I said, you're right. I'm sorry. I don't know why I would think you would be manipulating the decision. Of course, you prayed about it. And you know what? So did I. And we, we really are on the same page. I don't think we should get it. Not no, never, but not this office today. So I'm sorry. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I, I really, you can see that my selfishness, I just wanted that really bad. So let's move on. Wow. That's an incredible story. I, I love that practical story. And you know, what's glaring at me in this conversation is the message of trust. Like for you to have a healthy relationship, there has to be an element of deep, deep trust. That's what we talk about backing up. T to me, this model of thinking forces you to take serious accountability of your level of trust for one another. Because I always tell singles, and, I, and to the singles who are listening to this message, guys, here is the thing. And this is why I won't stop preaching and teaching about this. You have got to invite somebody into your life if and only if you see the Holy Spirit at work in their life. That's why we talk about the significance of marrying someone who loves Jesus more than they love you, because you're not trusting their heart in marriage because our hearts are sinful and we're selfish and we make bad choices. We're not trusting each other's heart. We're trusting the Holy Spirit at work in each of our lives. And that requires you to be married to somebody who is connected to Jesus, who has a healthy relationship with God, who is pursuing Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because otherwise, you're trusting their sinful nature. And this story, it's such a small example of, you know, the, build, the, the office building and what you guys wanted to do. But really the bottom line 
is trust. And can I trust my husband's heart and connection with Jesus? Can I trust my wife's heart and connection with Jesus? If the answer to that is no, then all of this stuff doesn't play out. All of this stuff doesn't work the way it's intended to work. And that's why it's so important to make sure when we're married that we're truly walking with Jesus, making it an active part of our everyday life. And if we're single, to make sure that we are where we need to be and that we expect the person that we invite into our life to be where they need to be in their walk with Jesus. Trust is a huge part of this, right? That's good, Deborah. And just, I'm such a word person that uh, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, but just to, to add a little bit more, it says in the scripture, trust the Lord completely. Don't ever trust myself. Of course, do I trust him? Yes, I trust him. I, like I'm married to him. I've, he's got integrity and character, but I trust God more. So there are times that um, even we aren't trustworthy with our sinful nature but when we trust in God, even when the traffic light doesn't go the way that we think God is leading or speaking, we're trusting God to lead us on the path. We're on a journey. We're in process. So we're trusting him. Yeah, I think sometimes when we teach on this point, you know, uh, we ask people what the you know, top you know, character traits that they want in a spouse. And trust is always in the top three. You know, integrity, trust, honesty, sense of humor, whatever, fill in the list. And it's like we put it back kind of parenthetically and say, okay, show me in the Bible or says to trust your spouse. And they're like, it's all over the place. You know, you'll get them I'm like, okay, well, let's take a, grab a cup of coffee and uh, come back. I want I want you to give me those texts. And really um, there's one passage at the heart of her husband trusts in him, but there's no really command to trust. And it totally opens the door for us to, again, unpack what you just opened the suitcase to Deborah. It's like, you know, a successful marriage, a kingdom advancing marriage begins with trusting God. It begins with God. It is all about God. You know, he is the head of our marriage. He is the head of our home. You know, he wears the pants in our family. It's like, and then out of that, we receive from the Lord. And then as reciprocal servants, give that to each other. And the result is it builds, there's no one in the, on the planet that I trust more than my bride, but it comes out of my trust in God. So just yes. a little a little tweak. But yes, trust, trust, trust. That's so good. I love that. So one other thing I want to discuss, we talked about the Old Testament. We talked about the pre-fall view of marriage and how God designed Adam and Eve originally, and then sin kind of messed it all up, right? So how would we talk through this with the biblical um, scholars and people who have opinions about the New Testament who say, well, isn't it clear in the New Testament that the husband is the head and the husband has the final say and the husband is in charge and the husband is the covering of the wife? I mean, when we're looking at this concept through the lens of the New Testament, how do we kind of unpack it? Sure. Well, if we could uh, answer that question you know, we'd probably be best-selling authors. I say that with a smile on my face. But again, we're not biblical scholars. And our experience is, you know, more religious inclined people will be arguing about that till Jesus returns. Okay. And and people pack, attach a lot of things to the word headship. Kafali is the Greek in Ephesians chapter five. And it's like, we're not going to, you know, solve that in a podcast, but we will do go back to in the beginning in God's creational design. 
can you show me where headship's present or any of the things you mentioned? And they usually shake their hand. I don't see it. So if we're going to talk to New Testament, we are not anti-headship. We believe the husband is the head according to that passage. And if you continue on down, if the husband walks out, his, you know, functions as the head where he nourishes his bride, quote, cherishes her bride, quote, is willing to die for his bride as Christ died for the church. Yes and amen. Be the head like that. But what we have found in 30 plus years of counseling and 43 years of marriage, talking to a lot of friends who a lot of them have complementary marriages, when push comes to shove, it's not about nourishing, cherishing and dying for it. It's about I want the final say. I want you to come through me. I want to handle the finances. I have a gender trump card and there's nowhere I can extrapolate that definition of headship. Our opinion, it means servant provider. It doesn't mean authority. It doesn't mean the headmaster. It doesn't mean the head waiter. You know, we've read 20 books on both of these. And um, we, again, go back to God's creational design where there is no headship. But if a husband who's listening to this podcast wants to be the head, nourish your bride, cherish your bride, die for your bride, and you have our whatever. Cheers from Colorado Springs. Yes and, and, and amen. And the only reason that we say that is because we look at the way we conduct our marriage is a preference, not as an absolute. So you're saying for those who really want to hold on to headship, we don't want to waste our years arguing about that. If you want to be the head, be the head the way Christ is the head. But we are still with the co-leadership message. I love that. I love that your message kind of makes space for both camps, the egalitarian camp, the complementarian camp. Maybe some of you are listening and you have no clue what those terms mean, <laughs> I would suggest you Google it because these are just some really important things to understand when it comes to roles in marriage. And at the end of the day, we are each responsible for diving into God's Word and following the conviction of the Holy Spirit, um, even in regards to this area that I would also consider a preference, um, and, and really just... Um, both seeking God of what is going to work for your marriage. This concept of co-leadership has worked for John and I, and this is what we hold on to in our marriage. This is what works for Tim and Anne and what, what they hold on to in their marriage. And I would really suggest that you pick up a copy of their book called Together, Reclaiming Co-Leadership in Marriage. It's an incredible book. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And Tim and Ann, if they want to learn more about you guys and your ministry, where can they go? Um, yeah, they can go to W. We're on the World Wide Web. Whenever I say that, people always smile. They say nobody says that, so I purposefully say it now. The <laughs> retired fire chief in me. We're on the World Wide Web, www.timplusanne.com, timplusanne.com. That's our website. It's pretty basic. Uh, you know, I, I joke, but we're not techie type of people. But um, yeah, I encourage you. I think it's chapter nine. The, the title of the chapter is Equality, Headship, Submission, Authority. And again, with a fireman and a nurse, that's who we were by trade. We just gently take a look at that and support it with scripture. And it uh, would unpack some of the questions that I know, you know, listeners are thinking right now. Yes, but and what about this? And what about, you know, um, if, if there's an emergency to be decided, we get asked that. It's like, well, you know, God's never given us different lights on an emergency. <laughs> I'm a fireman. She's a retired. She's a nurse. So. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, I love your marriage. I love your example. And I honestly love this book. I would go as far as to say that this is 
on the top of my favorite marriage books because of the way that you guys approach marriage, the way that you model it in your life, even how you even how you speak on this podcast. I mean, you're not talking over each other. You're talking together. You're so in sync. And that is truly the work of the Holy Spirit. Like God's God's work is so evident in and through you. And that's one of the things that really drew me to your message and your ministry. So thank you so much for joining me and tackling this important question today. Oh, it's Our so pleasure. Good to be we with you, you. anytime. Yes, we bless you, uh, your marriage with Chan, your three precious littles, and uh, and your entire audience. We just, uh, again, we offer a challenge. You don't have to live out co-leadership and mutuality, but we challenge couples, give it a three-month try. Implement the traffic light principle. See how it works. And yeah, see how it works. I, I love that. Thanks again, guys. Take care. Have a great day. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast today. It was so fun to chat with you about love and relationships. No matter what your relationship status, if you're looking to go deeper with healthy relationships, I invite you to check out my books, True Love Dates, Choosing Marriage, or my brand new book, Love in Every Season. You can find out more information about those as well as hundreds of articles and in-depth courses over at my blog, truelovedates.com. I love connecting with you. So please find me on Facebook or Instagram at truelovedates and give me a shout out. If you have a love and relationship question on your mind, reach out to me at truelovedates.com slash love and relationships. If you're loving what you're hearing on this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us your five-star review because it makes all the difference in getting the word out. I'm Deborah Faleta, and it was so great being together again today, and I can't wait to chat with you next week. Take care.